Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The Love Me Two Times, Baby. Love Me Twice Today. Edition. As the Bengals win two straight games for the first time in two seasons, winning a shootout in Houston 37 31. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays, post game comments from players and coaches, and in depth analysis from Dave Lapham. And in this week's Fun Facts segment, you'll get to know the person under the pads as I go one on one with offensive lineman Xavier Suafilo. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since a sit-stand workstation. I spend a lot of time doing broadcast prep at my desk, especially during this time of the year, when I'm not only broadcasting Bengals games, but you see football and basketball as well. All of that time on my backside is not good for my back, but I got something for Christmas that I already love, a sit-stand workstation. It's basically an adjustable desk that allows me to do my work standing or sitting, or a combination of both. You just pinch the levers on each side, and you can raise and lower the desk to the desired height. I give it a standing ovation. Now, let's get to the game. In Monday night's win over Pittsburgh, quarterback Ryan Finley only completed seven passes as the Bengals went to an uber-conservative game plan to neutralize the Steelers' pass rush. With Brandon Allen back from his knee injury, the Bengals didn't hesitate to throw it at Houston. He went 5-for-5 on the Bengals' opening drive and capped it off with a touchdown pass. Big third down and two play coming up at the Houston eight-yard line. Empty backfield, five wide. Three out to the left, two out to the right. Allen looking left, throws nice, left. Caught in. by the tight nice. end, Drew Sample. And he cruises into the end zone for an eight-yard touchdown. His first in the NFL. It was the start of an outstanding performance by the 28-year-old quarterback as he threw for a career-high 371 yards with a passer rating of 126.5. Here's wide receiver Alex Erickson. You know, Brandon's, you know, when he was uh, getting the start the first time, you know, you can really notice that he can really spin the ball and he's a confident guy and uh, really has the the right demeanor you're looking for and he gets back there and everyone just believes in him and uh, he showed that today, you know, the O-line protected him and he was back there. Uh, you know, picking them apart. After the team's traded field goals, the Bengals had a 10-3 lead late in the half when Will Jackson had to leave the game due to a concussion. Deshaun Watson took advantage of his absence by frequently picking on his replacement, LaShawn Sims. On first and 10, Watson back to throw. Carl Lawson with some pressure. Here's a throw into the end zone, and it's caught for a touchdown by Brandon Cooks. That was the first of three touchdown passes for Watson, who finished with 324 passing yards, 38 rushing yards, and a passer rating of 133.9. Here's Zach Taylor. Deshaun Watson is one of the the best football players I've ever seen in my lifetime. I I knew that going into this game. Um, I knew it was going to be difficult. There was going to be moments on defense where it was going to be tough. And he's done it to a lot of people over the last several years. And and, uh, so losing, losing, you know, a starting corner at that point, was tough because this guy can extend plays and and get first downs with his feet and he can throw it a, a mile 
and he's got a great receiver in Brandon Cooks that can go get it. And so again, they, they can put you in a lot of tough spots. And and I, I did think it hurt us when Brandon when uh Will went down. It was 10-10 at the half, with the Bengals due to get the ball to begin the third quarter. Going into the game, the Bengals had not scored a point in the third in more than two months. Here's a run to the left for Samaje Pirine. Burst through a hole. Inside the Houston yeah, 40. Go. Spins away from a tackle. Go. Down the sideline yeah. toward the end zone. Pirine takes it to the house as the Bengals score for the first time in ages in the third quarter. A drought of seven games comes to an end. That 46-yard run by 240-pound Samaje Pirine was the longest of his NFL career by 16 yards and gave the Bengals a 17-10 lead. I asked him about it after the game. Have you seen your 46-yard touchdown run yet? And if not, are you dying to? Uh, No, I haven't seen it. I mean, I'll see it in film, but it's not. I mean, a touchdown is a touchdown, so I'm not going to. I'm not going to single out that play. I'd rather watch the plays where I didn't do what I should have done and uh, learn from that because, you know, a touchdown is pay dirt. So, I mean, I can learn from it, but not as well as I can learn from something that I didn't do so well. So you are not like fired up to see a 46 yard run with a 360 degree spin breaking tackles that will be on every highlight show. You would rather study your mistakes? Absolutely. You always got to study the mistakes first. It's good to look back at it, but the mistakes come first. You got to get those fixed. The Bengals scored on all five of their second half possessions, but the Texans kept matching them. Watson in the gun, back at the nine, catches the snap, hands it off. David Johnson runs with ease into the end zone. Not much resistance there, and Houston is a PAT away from tying the game. Man, no question, Dan. I, I think he scores in one-hand touch. Johnson ran for 128 yards, but his legs were offset by Allen's arm. On back-to-back plays, he hit Alex Erickson for a 42-yard gain, followed by a touchdown pass to a sensational rookie. Allen drops back to pass again. He's going to float one high and deep into the end zone. It is caught. Did the receiver get two feet down inbounds? No. T. Higgins did not. (laughs) T. Higgins is saying, are you sure? He's got two feet down. He's dragging. Oh, that's a touchdown. T. Higgins telling the coaches yeah, to challenge it. You've got to challenge it. He's dragging the left foot. Possession, left foot drag, right foot down, touch down. As it turned out, the Bengals didn't have to challenge it. One official overruled the guy that got it wrong, and the 20-yard touchdown pass gave Cincinnati a 24-17 lead. Higgins had six catches, allowing him to tie Chris Collinsworth's team record for a rookie with 67. T's 99 receiving yards Ups his season total to 908, putting it within range of joining Collinsworth and AJ Green as the only Bengals rookies to hit 1,000. Here's Zach Taylor. Being around him, it doesn't feel like you're around a rookie. Um, he feels like he has uh, matured is not the right word because he he's had the right focus since day one, and it's just really been fun to watch him. The confidence that he has as he gets through the season, um, you know, he's made plays against everybody in this league and. Uh, just he's got an extremely bright future. His approach is tremendous. We're really where we got him when we got him in the second round is um, unbelievable now that you look back on it, but but we're lucky to have him. Once again, the Bengals' seven-point lead didn't last. Watson waits for the shotgun snap. Here comes a blitz. Quick throw, touchdown. Running back David Johnson on the receiving end of that two-yard throw, tying the game at 24, heading to the fourth quarter. After scoring a pair of touchdowns in the third quarter, the Bengals had to settle for a long field goal try on their first drive of the fourth. Clark Harris ready to snap it back to Kevin Huber. 
Huber looks back at the kicker, now turns his head, extends the right hand, catches the ball, puts it down. The kick looks yeah. good. It is good by Austin Seibert as Cincinnati takes a three-point lead on his 48-yard field goal. It was 27-24 Cincinnati with 10 and a half minutes to go. To that point, the Bengals had never trailed. But Houston's tight ends took care of that. First, Pharaoh Brown caught an eight-yard pass, broke tackle attempts by Jesse Bates and Jermaine Pratt, and eventually carried five defenders on a 29-yard gain. A few plays later, it was more of the same. Shotgun snap. Watson straight back to throw. Now scrambling up the middle of the field. Throws before crossing the line. It's caught for a first down. And it is going to be a touchdown for Houston. They could not get... Darren Fells, the tight end, to the ground. Second time on this drive, the Bengals simply could not tackle a Houston tight end. Pratt and Bates had him wrapped up at the five-yard line but couldn't keep Fells out of the end zone. And Houston had its first lead, 31-27, with 6.15 to go. That's been the story of 2020, right? The Bengals had four games in the first seven weeks where they had the lead in the fourth quarter and blew it. But not this time. The Bengals ran seven times and passed three in marching down the field for the go-ahead score. A.J. Green out to the left, T. Higgins out to the right. Now P. Ryan moves to the quarterback's right. Shotgun snap, inside hand yeah. P. Ryan Ooh. into the end zone Damn. for a go-ahead touchdown with 1.57 to go as the Bengals drive 75 yards and take the lead. It was 34-31 Cincinnati. Raise your hand if you were worried that they had left too much time on the clock for Deshaun Watson. You can put your hand down now, because on the second play of Houston's subsequent drive, Sam Hubbard delivered a knockout blow. Watson being captured. Sam Hubbard walks away right into the hands of Marcus Hunt. That's an interception for the Bengals as Hubbard got to the right side of Watson, poked the ball out of his arm. Watson is hurt, and the ball fluttered right to Marcus Hunt for the pick. Nice eye-hand coordination by the big boy Marcus Hunt. And Sam Hubbard, for the second time, he got to the arm of Deshaun Watson. He hit him, and the ball fluttered out of bounds the first time, and Deshaun Watson had some right elbow injury issue, and then Sam Hubbard got him again. This time as the ball fluttered, Marcus Hunt said, I'll take it. It was officially a fumble forced by Hubbard and recovered by Hunt. Watson's arm was not moving forward because his fingers actually got caught in Sam's face mask. Here's the Bengals' defensive end on taking the ball away from Watson. Yeah, he's just, he's really strong. You know, he's, you know, you give him a lot of credit. When you try and get your hands on him, he's out there really fast. And uh, just his strength and awareness is special. So, uh, you know, to go for the ball and get it out um, after, you know, he's been getting the better of us, it, it felt awesome. We've had plenty of games where, where things don't go your way and you just need someone to step up and make that play. And really the play that Sam made, um, we've had, we've been in that moment several times over the last two years. And, and they've driven down and scored a quick field goal, whatever it was. But that needs to be a turning point for us. Austin Cyber tacked on a short field goal with 18 seconds to go to make the final score Cincinnati 37, Houston 31. It was the Bengals' first road win in 16 tries under Zach Taylor and ended Cincinnati's 20-game road winless streak going back two years, two months, and 27 days. They avoid reaching the Detroit Lions NFL record of 26 road games without a win. Here are Zach Taylor, Alex Erickson, 
and Brandon Allen. It just, just tells you everything you got to know about the character and the resolve of this football team. And like I told them, we, we practice in 10 degree weather on Christmas Day, you know, to come down and play a game in Houston. And uh, not one guy, I didn't hear one guy complain about it. They all knew that we had to get some work done before we we're going to come win this big game. And um, just couldn't be prouder of, of the work that they put in here in week 16. Um, we're out of the playoff hunt. It's easy for guys to check out right now, and we haven't had a single player do it. And uh, just just proud to coach these guys. Man, it's crazy to even think about. You know, this this league's tough, and it's, it's hard to win on the road. And um, to go two years, though, man, a uh, long time coming. It's just just a testament to you know sticking to the process and believing. I know it's hard at times, and you know when you you lose that many road games in a row, it's you never think it's going to happen. And then uh, you just keep believing. And, you know, I think on Monday night, you know, the energy was great and guys really believed and uh, now you see the momentum picking up and guys are preparing the right way and uh, starting to starting to get some momentum that we've that we've earned. And so it, it feels really good to come down here and get a victory. And uh, it'll be nice getting on the plane for a long time coming. There, there's never been a question um, within this team of us moving in the right direction. And like you said, there's there has been a, there have been a few games where we're literally one play away from from it being a win and so you know those are tough but you have to you have to be able to move on and, and, and approach the next week like you're going to win it again so I think you kind of can just see in these last two weeks that um, you know that this team knows how close it can be and we've finally been able to have two really good games and put them together and get wins and um, you know we can just take that momentum and, and, and move it forward. The Bengals are 4-10 and 1 with one game to go. Now time for post-game analysis with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Well, Lap, the Bengals had two wins in the first 13 weeks, and now they've got two in six days. <laughs> Who saw back-to-back victories over Pittsburgh and Houston coming? I'm telling you, and uh, in, in the fashion, you know, that it happened. Uh, man, Finley, the star of the Pittsburgh game with his quarterback run game, and then Brandon Allen was just – he threw the ball as well as – just about any quarterback, I think, could throw the ball today. Who would have thought uh, the Bengals were better than a touchdown underdog? Two touchdown underdog to Pittsburgh, touchdown underdog plus in this game. And I wonder what the odds makers, how many of them thought that Brandon Allen and Samaj P. Ryan would lead the troops, lead the force to the victory? Let's talk about Brandon Allen. He passed for 371 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, passer rating of 126.5. First time in his career he's thrown for more than 300 yards in a game. When Joe Burrow got hurt, a lot of people, myself included, started saying, well, let's see, what quarterback should they sign in the offseason just in case Joe Burrow is not ready for week one? Should that quarterback be Brandon Allen? I think that he's proven that he understands the offense. He understands um, what Zach's trying to do. Uh, within that offense, and I know Zach feels good about calling plays for him, which is big, and I think, you know, his relationship with Dan Pitcher, Brian Callahan, I mean, if, if all these guys are back offensively, I would not be shocked if Brandon Allen is back offensively as well, you know, and, and I think the charge they're making here down the stretch, um, obviously, they still have the locker room, guys are still playing hard, guys are still believing. Honestly, when, when Houston took the lead in the fourth quarter, their first lead of the day, in the past you'd think, ah, yeah, they're, they're, they're done. These guys came right back and answered. You know, it was impressive. And and um, I thought the, the execution, it was at a very high level. Tennessee and Houston, no turnovers, no quarterback sacks. That's, that's a formula for winning games in the National Football League. If Zach Taylor was ever on a hot seat, seems pretty cold right now. 
Yeah, I think some people threw some cold water on that bad boy. I think some of his uh, some of his players and assistant coaches might have come to the rescue there. I think, you know, you have your first two game winning streak as a head coach, and it comes at a very opportune time. So, I mean, worst case scenario, you're winning two out of your last three football games. That's a that's a good way to finish without your franchise quarterback, Joe Burrow, a uh, guy that you gave a bunch of money to at the running back position, Joe Mixon. I mean, the people they didn't have. And, look, the Texans are in the same boat. They were missing a bunch of people, too. That's life in the National Football League. But the fact is the Bengals have responded and, and won with guys that uh, when the season started, there's no way people thought that guys that are playing now in significant roles would be the guys that are, would, are playing in those significant roles. So for the first time since the Cleveland home game on October 25th, the Bengals had the same starting offensive line as the previous game. For the previous seven games, it was musical chairs with anywhere from one to four changes from the previous week. How significant was the continuity? And did anybody stand out today where you thought, okay, maybe that guy clinched a spot in the offensive line for next year? You know, I'm looking at the interior of, of the offensive line. Now, Trey Hopkins has been very consistent all season long. I, I think he's had a really good year. Spain, Spain got some push in there today. On, on Pirine's four-yard touchdown run, he drove his guy three yards into the end zone. Um, and, and honestly, Xavier Suofilo is he's given a stabilizing force at that left guard position. I think, you know, Bobby Hart's a veteran guy, an experienced guy. I think he enjoys playing next to Spain. And I think Fred or Adenogy or whoever is out there at the left tackle position would appreciate playing next to Xavier Suofilo. So I do think that there's there's a good mix, you know, of, of, of guys in terms of their experience. They're all intelligent. That's one thing I'm telling you. This, this offensive line, Bobby Hart is a very smart guy. Trey, Trey Hopkins is, is a very smart guy. Jonah Williams, who isn't in the, in the mix, again, there's another guy they're playing without, is a very smart guy. Um, Xavier Suofilo, Spain, all these guys can play multiple positions. They're all smart guys. So um, I, don't think, I don't think the offensive line is does, – does it need work? Yes, it still does. I mean, do you want to try to upgrade if you can? Yes. But is it, is it a functional group? Can you work with that group? They're proven down the stretch that they are functional and they can be worked with. With the win, the Bengals, as of now, have dropped from third in next year's draft to sixth. If they win again next week, I think they could go as low as number 12. So for all of the Bengals fans who are heartbroken, as much as they enjoyed watching a victory, they're now heartbroken over the likelihood that Panay Sewell is no longer going to be a Bengal. What would you say? You know, I, I would say that... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm of the belief that some guys have, have been saying, even with the third pick in the draft, I'd trade back. I'd trade down and, and get you know an additional high pick. It's not just one guy. And even though the tackle position is vitally important, a tackle is not going to take you from a five-win team to a playoff team. I mean, so I, I, try, to, I try to increase my, my odds. Uh, you know, Sewell, Sewell has all the... Uh, projections to be a dominant player, and I don't disagree with that. But if you can find two high-caliber players in the offensive line instead of that one, why not? Or if you can find, you know, a good edge guy defensively um, with with one of those picks, uh, you know, I, I don't have any 
any real problem with the Bengals doing that, no matter where they end up in the draft. I, I think for people to, to cast their lot on one player and that player only and be heartbroken, if you don't get that one player, and boy, if things change, that it's an offensive tackle that people are ready to mortgage their houses over. I mean, God, that was never the case. And, and this is still a quarterback league, a quarterback-driven league. And you do have to protect the quarterback, obviously, but you got to get them weapons too. And, uh, you know, the defense has to get them the football. I mean, there's, there's so many things that they, they need to improve on. And I think the more picks they get, the better chances they're going to have of putting their bat on the ball and improving their football team. Jacksonville has clinched the number one pick. Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence will come to Paul Brown Stadium next year. The Jaguars are scheduled to play here next year. The Jets, with their win over the Cleveland Browns, back-to-back wins for the Jets after an 0-13 start. They are now in the two spot. Then you've got several teams with four wins, including the Bengals. But since the Bengals have a tie, they're down near the bottom of the four team wins. I find it interesting that the fourth team in the draft order right now should have been Houston but they traded that pick to Miami. How happy are the Dolphins to see the Texans sitting there with the fourth pick in the draft? Unbelievable. I mean, Fitzmagic delivers again for them. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick, it is incredible. This guy's career is like no other. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a book that you'd have to be creative as an author to write, you know. I mean, it's unbelievable, and he's living it. Um, but, yeah, the Miami Dolphins, I mean, <laughs> look at where they are, what they've got, and they have the fourth pick in the draft to boot (laughs) man they're doing a lot of things right down there in Miami and uh, they could set themselves up to be the real deal for a long time there's no doubt about it little Bengals history made today by T Higgins with his six catches he has 67 this year he is tied with Chris Collinsworth for the Bengals rookie record for catches in a season and he's got a legit shot at becoming the third Bengals rookie to have more than 1,000 receiving yards in his first year He's over 900 after having six catches for 99 yards in this game. So a tremendous uh, rookie year is reaching record-setting proportions for T. Higgins. Yeah, and and I like T. Higgins in all levels, all areas, Dan. Physically, he's the real deal. Big, strong, broad shoulders, strong hands, vice, length, strength, all that stuff. And he's a puppy. You know, a full off-season of lifting and working out, he's going to be bigger, stronger, longer. I mean, it's going to be ridiculous. The other part of it is the mental part of, of the game. Joe Burrow and, and he, they, they had a chemistry right away. Brandon Allen having a chemistry with him right away. It says something about him as a, as a rookie to understand not only what he's supposed to do, why he's supposed to do it, how he's supposed to do it, all those kind of things. I think he's very advanced mentally, and I think that he's a, he's a really solid route runner. Um, he doesn't make the same mistake twice, and I think – Joe Burrow and T. Higgins could have a run like Andy Dalton and A.J. Green did. I thought this game was a reminder that Alex Erickson is a pretty good slot receiver when needed. I mean, last year he had 43 catches, 529 yards. This year, just buried on the depth chart, Tyler Boyd had been ha- uh, healthy until this week, had five catches for 43 yards all year coming in, six catches for 88 yards in the game. Pro's pro. You know, totally <laughs> – when you're talking about dependability, reliability, accountability, all those great abilities, those are the abilities that sometimes are tiebreakers. I mean, physical ability. Everybody's got physical ability or they wouldn't be in the league. But some guys are in the league that you wouldn't expect to be in the league because of the intangible abilities of the accountability, reliability, and all those abilities. And that's Alex Erickson. And he's all about the team. 
a lot of people, that's lip service. You know, it's like, oh, you know, they say that about everybody. Alex Erickson does the dirty work. I mean, special teams, cover, uh, returns, do anything, anything that has to be done, blue-collar, dirty work stuff to help his football team win. And then when the uh, opportunity arose, and Tyler Boyd would have gone off in this football game. They would not have been able to cover Tyler Boyd, let's face it. But they didn't have him. And who steps up and, and you know plays his tail off, which you'd totally expect? Alex Erickson. He relishes every opportunity. And when the opportunity presents itself, he's not going to pass on it. He's going to go capitalize on it. The Bengals are going to finish last in the AFC North, regardless of what happens next week. The other three teams all have double-digit wins. That means they get to play the last-place schedule next year, and that means they get to avoid the Houston Texans. I don't want to play, play Deshaun Watson if I'm the Bengals' defensive staff any more than I absolutely have to. I'm telling you, Dan, this guy is hes so rare with his strength, his lower body strength. His legs are so strong. I mean, I'll guarantee he probably can squat more than a lot of his offensive linemen. This dude, he's not, like, explosive in terms of, like, a 4-3, 4-4-40. He's probably, like, high 4-5s, 4-6 type guy. But his explosion is when you think you have him in a small area, he just bursts. I mean, he, he'll just – if you try to just get, wrap your arms, one arm around it, he'll just run right through you. I mean, the guy breaks so many tackles. He pulls away. And just he shucks you like an ear of corn, man. It's over. I mean, the guy's the guy's unbelievable. And the whole time he's doing that, he's got his eyes down the football field, and he's deciding, all right, I'm go- I got I got this linebacker. I got him on the island now. I got him between the rock and the hard place. Do I isolate him? What do I have for a receiver behind him? Okay, yeah, I'm going to make him commit to me, and I'm going to dunk it over the head, or I'm going to run the football. He's retreating. He's still retreating. He makes these you know instantaneous decisions on the move, and the guy's creative. And man. Um, the play that he comes up with while improvising a lot of times is better than the play that's called. There's no doubt. He takes hits. He takes sacks. He doesn't throw interceptions, and he makes a lot of big plays. So coaches live with it. There's no doubt about it. They'll, they'll live with 40 or 50 sacks if he does what he's doing and the numbers he's putting up. There's no question. Not a great day for the Bengals' defense, but did anybody stand out as playing at least okay to you? You know, I, I thought I thought you know Sam obviously made a couple of a couple of uh, you know big plays. Honestly, you know, I, I think it's hard to say. Will Jackson looked like he was off to a good start, and he was going losing him was huge. I mean, let's face it, uh, his replacement was targeted and targeted early and often. Um, Will Will's a big factor on this football team, and uh, yeah, defensively, I'd I'd really have to I'd have to look at the uh, look at the tape. I mean, guys, guys, you know. Everybody will flash every once in a while, but on a consistent snap-by-snap basis, it's hard to say anybody defensively really won their matchup on a snap-by-snap basis the entire game. Do you like it when you get a Christmas gift a few days late? You know, it gets caught up in the mail or something, and a few days later it's like, huh, Christmas was extended. That's how I feel about this win. Yeah, I like Christmas was early and Christmas was late. (laughs) I mean, Santa Claus came before the actual day, and he came after the actual day. It was, it was pretty nice. And he came to Cincinnati, and then he went all the way down to Houston to deliver a present down there. So, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was good. I, you, you do feel good for these guys because the, I don't think anybody ever had a problem with the work ethic. I don't think that anybody and, – and everybody's looking for it. They're looking for the first guy to pack his bags and quit. And nobody, nobody has even come close to doing that. Now, have they played intelligent enough? Uh, have they have they played 
you know, winning football in terms of not making mistakes and things of that nature? No. But, you know, they've tried, it's a try-hard bunch of guys, and try-hard will only get you so far. But when they, not, when they do not make mistakes like they did today, like they did against Tennessee, like they did for the most part against Pittsburgh, you know, it can show you what you can get done. But the thing is, Dan, this football team really didn't have any error in those football games, and they just barely won. I mean, the margin for error is sliver thin with this group. That's why they need to keep improving it because you never feel comfortable until the final gun that the game's over. I mean, the fat lady's got to be singing the second verse before the game's <laughs> over. <laughs> Up next, the final game of the year as Cincinnati hosts the 10-5 and Ravens at Paul Brown Stadium. The last five times that the Bengals ended the regular season at home, they won. And four of the five wins were against Baltimore. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now time for this week's Fun Facts segment, where you get to know the person under the pads. Time for some fun facts with offensive lineman Xavier Suafilo, a native of American Fork, Utah, near Provo, where BYU is located. Describe where you grew up. Yeah, real mountainous, uh, right along the Wasatch Front. Uh, Utah is uh, actually a real beautiful state, and um, we have all four seasons. It's what would be considered a high desert. We're great neighbors, uh, very uh, religious, and pretty tight-knit community, you know what I mean, out there. And so it was, it was real cool, but we had yeah, I had the mountains right up there. Where are your ancestors from? I got mixed ancestry. My mom is uh, part Tongan, and Tonga is a group of islands in the South Pacific. And my grandfather on my dad's side is from Samoa. It's also another um, country, group of islands in uh, the South Pacific. And uh, my dad's mother is from England. And she's actually from a port town, a harbor town called Hull in England, headed towards the coast. And so I've uh, got a little bit of English in there, but um, Tongan and Samoan. We're visiting with Xavier Suafilo. Your dad was a college football player. Did he get you hooked on sports at an early age? Yeah, it was cool. You know, my dad um, played junior college ball at Ricks College, what's now known as uh, BYU-Idaho. And they don't have a um, football program anymore, but he... Uh, he did, you know, he's a big sports guy. My dad's sport is actually basketball and he's pretty good at it. And um, he had a lot of hops and, you know, for me, I, I enjoyed playing basketball, but football was my love. And from a young age in our home, uh, being a sports family, we just enjoyed watching and playing sports. And so I remember, you know, on Sundays and Mondays, mostly uh, we would, you know, make it a point to watch Sunday night football or uh, Monday night football, you know, as a family and eat dinner. And uh, obviously the older we got, we had more obligations and sporting and scouts and stuff, but uh, that was um, a pretty cool tradition in our home. You mentioned scouts. You're an Eagle scout requires 20, 21 merit badges among other things. Was that a big goal when you were young? Yeah, it's actually a requirement in my home, believe it or not. Um, you know, my dad is an Eagle and a lot of my uncles, and uh, that was a rule in my home that you couldn't uh, receive a driver's license until you, um, became an Eagle Scout or at least completed all the requirements. And so, uh, you know, it was important in our family and um, our church was heavily involved at the time with, uh, with the scouting program and I had some great leaders. And so uh, it's something I really enjoyed and something I actually was really proud of. We're chatting with Xavier Suafilo. You're a large man. Were you always the big kid in the neighborhood? Yeah, I think so. I always have been, um, you know, a little heavier set, but um never let it stop me to try and do uh everything 
uh, crazy, you know, riding bikes, jumping on trams, trying to do flips, like all that kind of stuff. And so I, uh, it was, um, it was fun, but yes, I've always been the big guy. You are one of the top offensive line recruits in the country. Did you enjoy the attention? Yeah, I didn't mind it. You know, to me, um, what was nice for me is that, um, you know, I worked real hard to try and, you know what I mean? Get all that, have all that success and, you know, but at home, especially, you know, being someone, you know, being familiar with the culture, like gloating and, and kind of, you know, being very, very proud. And I want to say cocky, but just, you know, that, that wasn't allowed. You know what I mean? When I was around, like I was very proud and worked hard and my parents were proud of me too, but there was, uh, when I was at home, I was still a kid at home. I still had chores that I still had, you know what I mean? I still had, um, a lot of things to keep me humble and grounded and, and coaches and uncles, aunts, parents. And that's something that um, I'm really grateful, grateful for to this day. You chose UCLA, great school, beautiful yeah. campus. What did you enjoy most about your college experience? You know, I, I, I just had a, um, I had a fun, good experience there. I enjoyed probably playing football the most. Um, I, I don't think I really quite took advantage of, you know, being in Santa Monica or Westwood, you know, while I was there because, you know, what can you do? You're a broke college student, you know, but I enjoyed it and that's fun. Um, and I had a good experience with a lot of teammates who I still keep in touch with. After your freshman year, Xavier, you served, you served a two-year Mormon mission. And to me, that's a remarkable thing. You're 19 or 20 years old. You've got it made in college, relatively speaking. And you chose to spend two years spreading the gospel and serving others. What was that experience like for you? Oh, I'll tell you first, it was really hard. Um, you know, it's not easy, um, an, an easy thing to do, but it's something that, you know, that you commit to do and you test to do. It's something that, you know, can be real special and beneficial for my life. I think that experience overall just really kind of molded me into, you know, becoming a better man and kind of growing up when you're a 19 to 20 year old and you got to talk to grown adults about, you know, what they're going through in life and their families and different kind of all different kind of scenarios and situations in their lives and speak about the gospel and speak about God. You know, it's it's um, some really awesome conversations and um, experiences. But when you're young and you don't have that much experience and you have to kind of you know, hear that, you know, it forces you to kind of like see a big perspective and a big picture really quickly. You know, a lot of our mission was um, doing a lot of service, you know, a lot of service, you know, serving others, serving your fellow man, and just basically, you know, sharing this, um, the, when we talk about the gospels, you know, it, it's just very basically sharing a message of happiness where, you know, I feel like I've been blessed in my life and my family has been blessed in our life by what we believe in and you know, people who can rely on their faith and rely on what they believe in truly, it gives you comfort, you know, and, and reminds you what's most important and uh, to be able to weather the storm. And so doing all that by, and also being assigned to speak Spanish and learn a whole, another language that's not native to my own uh, was a task um, in itself. And, but it's something that I wouldn't trade for the world. It's something that I loved to do. After you finished up your college career at UCLA, you were the first pick in the second round of the draft by the Houston Texans back in 2014. Describe your draft experience. It was special. You know, I know a lot every year, um, you know, you see it on TV and everyone's always like, one day that could be me, one day that could be you, you know, but uh, for it to really happen was real special, you know, and um, I got, you know, I was around um, my loved ones when it happened. I got to eat some good food and go golfing with my dad and my grandpa and Got to sit on the couch with um, my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And uh, like I said, with loved ones, friends and family, people that have known me since I was little all around me. And so to hear your name, um, 
you know, called on, on draft day is, is something special and something that, um, you know, I'll never forget. You're from Utah. You went mm-hmm. to college in California. You spent most of your NFL career in Texas, yep. but you live in Phoenix, correct? How did you wind yeah. up here? We ended up making Phoenix home base uh, because I work out um, at the gym and the trainer that I work out with is uh, based out there in Chandler, Arizona. Um, and so we, um, it's called O-Line Performance, uh, owned by, run and owned by LaCharles Bentley. And so um, we decided, you know, to make that home. And, you know, with that warm climate, my wife loves that warm weather and we have a pool. And so my kids can go to, go to the pool every day of the season. Sounds like a good plan. All right. A few more fun facts with Xavier Suafilo. Do you have any hidden talents? I love to play games. A lot of, a lot of board games, a lot of card games. Definitely love doing that. And um, let's see. Uh, musically, uh, the talent kind of missed me in that category. I can't really play an instrument. I, I like to sing, but in the shower, you know what I mean? Where no <laughs> one can hear. And, uh, but I love music though. You know, I'm, I'm constantly listening to different kind of music. I grew up on a lot of music and I, I, I really am a big fan of music in all different kind of genres. I'm not, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of music that I don't like to explore or look at or do that. And I, I don't know if it's a hidden talent, but I, I grew up riding horses and I own horses currently and I will probably own them until I die. You know what I mean? I'm, I, um, I love riding horses. And so I'll probably, that's something that, that I'll do. On the flip side, what are you absolutely terrible at? Baseball. Oh yeah. I, I didn't grow up playing baseball. I think I, I went out for the team one time in sixth grade and I got hit by the ball or I struck out three times and I'm just like, you know, this isn't for me, you know, and I'm probably terrible at baseball. I'm, Okay, I'm terrible at golf, but I love playing it. It didn't, you know what I mean? Like I'll go golf every single day and I might not be any good, but I'll have fun doing it. <laughs> so that's the best way to approach it. Trust me. What unhealthy food do you have a hard time turning down? Anything from Hawaii. Hawaii has a pretty distinct, you know what I mean? Like Hawaiian barbecue type cuisine. And so I don't necessarily think it's healthy for you, but um, any of that, I, I can never turn it down. And I uh, also love spam. And I'm not sure if spam is very good for you, but I love spam. And I'll, my favorite way to prepare it is to slice it up, pan fry it a little bit with a little bit of brown sugar, scramble some eggs, have some white rice and eat that. That actually sounds quite good. It's delicious, Dan, and I can make it for you. I promise you'd love it. <laughs> Last thing. Yeah. If you could meet anybody in history, athlete, entertainer, statesman, whatever, who would that person be? Naturally, my answer would be like, you know, there's a lot of my, my relatives that I never knew. You know, my, my uh, dad lost his parents when he was in 18. I would have really liked to meet them, uh, my grandparents. But, you know what I mean? Other than relatives, I think outside of that, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a great question. I think being a history, you know, kind of a history buff, history guy, I always thought it'd be cool to, you know, to meet just different, just different kind of uh, folks and see how their brains worked. You know, like different inventors, uh, different army generals. I, I, I probably want to meet General Custer and ask him what he was thinking. Um, <laughs> I, I'd love to meet, you know, Chief Sitting Bull, Crazy Horse, just any you know, on American history and, and different kind of things, just to see what was going on in their in their heads and kind of like you know their their perspectives and you know when people are gone, you know their story changes, you know, and history is rewritten, you know, over the years about them, and you kind of want to know who they are, so. Um, probably that. And I think Bob Marley would be a very, very, very interesting person to go sit down and have dinner with too.
I can yeah. see why you're a history major at UCLA. Yeah. You are off the hot seat. I appreciate your time. Best of luck the rest of the year. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate you, man. Here's a quick reminder to join Lap and Lance McAllister for Bengals Line Monday night from 6 to 9 on 700 WLW. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks so much for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.